I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. This is the Ocean Protect podcast, talking about the issues that face our oceans and what we can do about it. Presented by Ocean Protect, committed to change. Welcome, guys. Welcome, Brad. Um, Today, we have a very special guest, uh, a guy that I've looked up to in the industry for a long time. Murray Powell is uh, the Managing Director of Optimal Stormwater. Uh, He's been on the Stormwater Committee of New South Wales for over 20 years. Is that right, Murray? Yep. And he's basically more passionate than Brad and I about stormwater. I know that's hard to believe, but this guy is next level. Welcome, Murray. (laughs) <laughs> Thanks very much, mate. So, well, yeah, I reckon. I reckon me and Jeremy. I'll put up. I'll get a word in now because yeah. I reckon, right, once Murray starts talking about stormwater, I reckon it could be a, just a monologue for for the next hour or so. So we'll see how we go. So I know, I know for a fact that Murray is super passionate about stormwater, and I'm probably keen to get the origin story. So. Yeah, how, how did you? I mean, back. Let's go back to CDS days. How did you get into this industry, mate? Well, let's go back to before that. Okay. Oh, look at Mate, lived uh, on the northern beaches of Sydney for most of my life, spent half my life in the water and, uh, you know, found my way at university, did uh, chemical engineering and uh, sort of fell into that because I, you know, did well in maths at school and I love playing with explosives. (laughs) uh, So put the two two together and came up with chemical engineering. But I found 90% of that really bore bore me to tears. So, uh, but the part that didn't was the environmental side and dealing with water um, because I surfed, I fished, I snowboarded, yeah. I water skied, I dived. All my social, all my recreational pursuits were all in the water. Wow, yeah. And um, I thought, well, if I can actually combine sort of my degree and, and background with something I really love and enjoy doing, which is being in the water, and you know, then I realised that there was a, a bloody great need to protect it. So my first job out of uni was at uh, New South Wales EPA. Wow. Oh, and well, spent uh, four years there helping the government write their first uh, stormwater manual. And um, What year was that? Yeah. Oh, joined them in 92 and I left wow. in 96. Wow. But I left them because I felt the red tape was just so domineering and mm. uh, and just it was getting me down. The bureaucracy. The bureaucracy mm. of it all. Mm. Um, you know, I wasn't able to provide accurate, practical advice to people because of the uh, sort of limitations of the legislation. So, um, and it was about that time that a company um, here in Australia, based down in Mornington in Melbourne, uh, started as Polytech and became rapidly known as CDS Technologies. Mm -hmm. They started up, uh, they came up to Sydney um, and they said, oh, we got this great trap and it spins around and pulls the pollution into the middle and, uh, you know, it works like a ripper and... uh, 
you know, we want to get approval. And I said, well, the EPA doesn't approve devices. Uh, they set targets and you need to achieve outcomes. But on a personal note, I went, wow, this is sort of claiming to be, a, you know, a pretty big leap forward in technology. So I personally jumped a plane, went down there and went into their labs and worked out what they were doing and how they were doing it. And holus bolus, I couldn't believe it. I was seeing that the thing actually worked and there'd been a, like a, a quantum leap forward in how to control stormwater pollution and it was a bloody two-man company based down in Melbourne. Wow. So I got involved. It's in, I left the EPA and, and jumped on board with those guys and uh, ran the Sydney office and 10 years later was general manager of CDS Technologies mm-hmm. Asia Pacific and um, – but it was a publicly listed company, and the whole thing got yeah, broken up and sold out from underneath me. Didn't didn't Packer invest many years ago? Yeah, yeah. The Packers were uh, very early investors, and um, I think they made a bit of money, and then got out and decided to put it in casinos and whatever else. But uh, <laughs> so for for our listeners, a CDS unit, Murray. Can you just describe what a CDS unit is? It's a leap forward in treatment over lots of other previous treatments. So basically, that you've got a combination of. There's direct screening where some where flow goes perpendicularly through a screen, items larger than the screening aperture get blocked behind it. Mm. The main technology that was being used previously over in the US was a vortex type thing, mm. basically spin the water. And like a whirlpool, the pollutants that are heavier get pulled towards the middle and you can capture them that way. And the pollutants that are lighter, the water float and you have a baffle to catch mm. those. And that was the number one device over in America uh, prior to this new device happening here. And with the pollution sinking to the bottom of the chamber. Yeah, so yep. the three basic types of treatment are settlement, screening, and using a vortex-type mm. system. The evolutionary leap with the, the CDS unit was the first time they'd been able to combine the screen and the vortex and the, the apertures and orientation of the screen to make a non-blocking screening system. Mm. And suddenly that put it leaps ahead of all these mm. other systems that, you know, flow came in, blocked on the screen. Once it was blocked, it just sat there bypassing. Mm. So uh, the level of performance rose dramatically and uh, the company did very well and broke into the US and uh, never looked back. So uh, so CDS has now been broken up, sold off, and um, uh, it's, it's owned by different people around the world. But um, that technology itself uh, remains the number one treatment technology for stormwater for gross pollutants. And for the complete layman, this is a mm. device that basically sits underground. Correct, and, yeah. And, and basically... You couldn't see it from the surface. It just looked like another access chamber or lid or a manhole lid. Yep. Uh, but if you lift, lift the lid of that um, system, you can see a whole bunch of basically a whole bunch of activity under under underground. Oh yeah. Look, I've been out um, monitoring a couple of these in the field this morning, and you look down, and it's a two meter diameter surface of water, and it's absolutely covered in pet bottles, polystyrene, plastic bags, you name it. Yeah. Um, so just you know, remembering our listeners. Uh, we, we know stormwater so well, so we're just going to mm. be mindful of that. Um, essentially, guys, the, these are the underground rubbish bins that we've been talking about on the show. Mm. These mm. are gross pollutant traps that essentially uh, stop the pollution from even entering our creeks, rivers, and ultimately ending up in the ocean. Um, Murray, what I'd really like to do is go mm. back to, uh, I guess, those early days at CDS. Yeah. Um, you know, the technology is is obviously uh, around the whole world now um, and a lot mm. of companies are making similar type of devices. Mm. Those early days of, of getting out there and putting those gross pollutant traps out, I mean, that was sort of pre, pre-Olympics, is that right? Yeah, that's right. So I joined CDS Technologies and uh, 
they gave me the, the challenge of, right, you're managing sales in New South Wales. And I'd go and knock on the door of councils and say, hey, how would you like to, uh, you know, clean up your environment? Maybe we can help you out with one of these. And the biggest competitor or the biggest challenge was apathy. It was, why would I spend money doing that? Wow. To protect our environment. <laughs> yep. So uh, obviously previously they just let whatever pollution or litter might have been on the streets and roads just wash straight into the pits and pipes and straight into the waterways. And they're yep. questioning you saying, why do we bother capturing and stopping that pollution? But there was no requirement back then, was there? There was a, a legislative requirement, but no one was doing anything about it. Gee, a lot's changed in, uh, <laughs> <laughs> a lot's changed in the last 25 years, isn't there? Yeah. Oh, well. They had the, the Clean Waters Act that, that is so hard to actually meet. Everyone just threw up their hands and said, oh, we can't do it. But then, you know, you'd have uh, – the big focus of the EPA back then was all on sewer overflows mm. and trying to clean up the waterways for people swimming at Bondi mm. Beach, etc. Yep. Stop those Bondi cigars from washing, mm. you know, <laughs> back up on the beach. But um, the, the second focus, you know, there was uh, Clean Up Australia with Ian Keenan yep. and he yep. was, uh, you know, a big voice in the industry back then and he made a lot of waves. Mm. And then uh, we had something here in Australia that uh, a few of the listeners may have uh, heard about when, um, I can't remember, one San Antonio Sam Ranch said, and the winner is Sydney. Uh, yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> and suddenly that sparked a whole lot of uh, money coming in from the, the state and federal government, $20 million at a time every year. Basically, we've got guest plumbing. We want to clean up the harbour. Yeah. And uh, that gave councils lots of money to actually install gross pollutant traps and try and, you know, kick it all off and make a, make a head start and make a big difference. The uh, Sydney Olympics was going to be known as the Green Olympics. Mm. And obviously, you know, there were some funding challenges and, and not everything got built that it was supposed to. But um, I think there were about 30 CDS units built as part of the uh, the Olympic site and, and at the velodrome and where the uh, triathlons were run and protecting areas of Sydney Harbour where the biathlons and the sailing were happening yeah. and things. So, uh, yeah, lots of them put in all around the Sydney. So um, And were they effective? Did they capture a lot of pollution? Oh, hell yeah, a lot. And that itself became a different problem because whilst the councils had got money to build them, mm. no one had budgeted any money to actually clean them. Gee, well, and, and look, we've, we've learned from that, haven't we? <laughs> I think Jeremy's being sarcastic. But sarcastic. Like obviously, I used the example before, if you lifted a lid of one of these CDS units or other mm. sort of devices, what do you see inside? Well, you see the concrete walls that go down to the surface of the water and yep. then you just see a floating raft of a variety of Anthropogenic litter. That's litter produced by humans, basically. The most common are polystyrene, not just your individual containers, mm. but you know boxes that have fallen off trucks that the next 500 cars have driven over, mm. and tiny little bits of polystyrene mm. all over everything. Certainly plastic bags, pet bottles and that sort of mm. stuff, the ones that have their caps on, the ones yeah. that don't have their caps on, spin around, fill up with water, and no. they're on the bottom yeah, as well. Yeah. So Which, during a storm event, you might have about 20% of stuff floats and about 20% will readily sink yeah. and about 60% is neutrally buoyant. But after a storm, you're left with just the, the 3% or thereabouts that you, remains floating and that you can see, which is what you, you're talking about, mm. Brad, when you actually open a device and you mm. look down in it, you're seeing the 3% yeah. that permanently floats. Yeah. But that will include, you know, undesirable things as well like you know potentially condoms and syringes cigarette butts interestingly cigarette butts tend to take between a day and a week to waterlog and most of them will sink as well wow. 
But uh, straws from drink containers yeah. by the hundreds, thousands and, sometimes. And it's all the things, if I go back to the, the guys that go doing the beach cleanups. So, for example, yeah. me and Jeremy were on a Bondi Jeremy Beach. Jeremy and I. Sorry, well, Jeremy and I I'm were on, get you on those. <laughs> Jeremy and I were on Bondi Beach a couple of Sundays ago helping out with the uh, responsible runners and plastic-free Bondi who had organised a beach cleanup. Mm. And we picked up all of the things that you talked about, more or less in the similar but, quantities. But hold on, let's just tell Murray what we did. Mm. We're down on the beach yeah. and we're, we're – I mean, the amount of microplastic within the sand, it looks clean, but then when you start going through mm. it, the, the, the tiny bits, and Brad mm. and I are like, fuck oh, this. Let's go and have a look at the car park adjacent to the beach. Mm-hmm. What do you know? Just crap all throughout the car park. And it was just, I don't know, it was a bit of a moment really where we were like, car park, people be cleaning up stuff on the beach. Do you know where this is all coming mm. from? It's, mm. it's right bloody obvious in your face. So look, we, we know that's happening. I, I, I want to also go back to post-CDS and you started your own company. Can you tell us about your your company, Optimal Stormwater? Sure, yeah. Look, after the days at, at CDS, I joined a, a major consultancy about one month before the GFC hit. <laughs> uh, that was a great move. Um, <laughs> and about So when I joined, they had about four years of work on the books and, and it was, Murray, we're in expansion mode and I was going to start this uh, section called Water in the Environment. Uh, about six months later, they said, Murray, we're now in contraction mode. And um, <laughs> thanks very much. See you later. Really? And I went, So oh, last, man, last man in, first man out. That's it. Yeah. And uh, look, I have to admit, if I was sitting on their side of the table, I would have done the same thing. Yeah. You would have sacked so, you. Yeah. I would have sacked me. <laughs> Stop wearing those crazy shirts. Yeah. <laughs> you can talk. <laughs> Get, Murray's got one of his classic uh, aquatic-themed uh, shirts today. You can't see it, but it's it's high quality. He's a fashionista. Yep. It's very hard to find a long sleeve shirt with fish all over it. <laughs> and that's, that's for that's a, good, a very good reason. That's Mar- a challenge for you listeners. It's <laughs> not a huge demand, but yeah. No, there's not. Where were we, guys? Uh, so you've, you've, you've been given you've the been sack. sack. Yeah, that's right. I've been sacked. You have to go home to your um, wife and say, oh, bugger, um, what are we going to do? And yeah. It would have been quite of a – because, you know, you've you've left a uh, company. How long were you with CDS for? Oh, 11, 12 years. Great. So like that's a decent career. Yeah. You've gone to consultancy. You're like, it's a GFC. What am I going to do? So what, what was the thought process? Well, the first thing was – I need to get some money rolling in any way I can. <laughs> so started, uh, you know, delivering pizzas. Uh, no, I didn't. Yeah. <laughs> no, what I did, I, I set myself up as a sole trader and uh, then I could partner with various companies mm. in the industry as opportunities and, and, you know, different councils said, hey, we want a stormwater harvesting system or we want a gross pollutant trap or whatever. And I could partner with... Uh, various consultancies, etc., uh, or contractors to actually get it up, get it over the line because, you know, I'm, I'm well married to know a lot of things. <laughs> yeah. And, um, yeah, there you go. <laughs> so, uh, it, it, yeah, it opened some doors and uh, it allowed me to, to partner with whoever I chose at the time. And uh, my number two and number three, whilst at CDS, both went to a company called Henry and Hymas. Yep. I found myself competing with them in uh, in the industry, uh, but because I had lower overheads, um, I could knock them off three times out of three. <laughs> and, uh, needless to say, that that pissed them off just a little bit, especially when the last one I knocked them off by a hundred bucks. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, they were they were uh, yeah suitably uh, unimpressed and just going Jesus, we're going to lose all this work to Murray forever and a day. We need to sit down, have a Chinese lunch. And Murray, GFC, we're still under the impact of the GFC. We can't afford to put you on as an employee, but we'd love to have uh, your thoughts or vision in regards to 
potentially starting a company together. And I, I just threw up my hands and said, oh, fantastic. Yeah. I've got a great vision of what I want to do, how I want to do it, why I want to do it, and what I believe we can bring to the industry that's not there at the moment. Because there are consultants, there are companies that are contractors, mm. there are cleaning companies, there are proprietors, etc. And when you say a proprietor, so like Ocean Protect, for instance, you know, our main source of revenue is – uh, designing, ins- installing, supplying stormwater quality assets. So when you say a proprietor, you'd say Ocean Protect. Mm. Yeah, someone who's selling the stormwater treatment equipment. Yeah. And you guys do a very good job and you've got very high-quality equipment. So Thanks, mate. Plug. And I'm not being paid to say that. <laughs> no. That's just no. legit. Yeah, I had a vision of, of starting up Optimal Stormwater. Uh, we came to an agreement on who would own what, et cetera, and uh, Optimal went, yeah, we started up a week later. Optimal went profitable in three months and never looked back. Wow. And that was 10 years ago, wasn't That's it? That's 10 years ago. Boom, look at that. Now we're turning over millions and uh, about 25% of what we do is is design, about 25% is construction, about 25% is auditing and checking of all the existing devices that are out there and telling people you know, what's working and what's not and why. And the other 25% is the ongoing operation and maintenance of stormwater harvesting schemes. Yeah, right. So it's great having all this yeah. water infra- yeah. water sustainability infrastructure, but in a lot of cases it's handed over to the, the guy at council mm. who, you know, mows the lawns in the in the parks and reserves and you say, here, you know, operate this chemical treatment mm. plant. And he goes, I have no idea. And, and, and so and we get in and give the yeah. councils and, and clients a hand to actually make these infrastructure systems work. And stormwater harvesting isn't actually something we've talked about much on this show. So we, we talk about stormwater and I guess, I guess it's associated pollution. Mm. But what is actually stormwater harvesting? Can you explain that to the listener? Yes, I can. Let me just go back one sec. When Captain Cook landed on Australia and uh, – whatever it was called back then. Yeah. Anyway, don't worry. Uh, when he first landed, you know, leaves fell off trees onto the ground and that was about it. As society has developed, they had put in sewage systems and they, they put in stormwater systems. And uh, the focus of stormwater was originally all on conveyance, flooding. Get the water um, out. Get the water out of here as fast yeah. as possible so it doesn't you know go through the lounge room. And that was the large sort of uh, – that was how all stormwater was designed up until the sort of 50s and 60s. And then they started looking at, well, hang on a minute, it's taking all our rubbish and, and everything else and our waterway, our creek looks crap and, you know, we need to do something to stop it. Back in the 1970s, the first gross pollutant trap design guidelines were created uh, down in Canberra. Wow, didn't know that, 1970s. The 1970s. And uh, back then the the technology that was, you know, just being created. There were no standards. There were no expectations. It was, uh, you know, they built Lake Burley Griffin down there yeah. and then realised that as you built the subdivisions that all all their stormwater runoff ran into Lake Burley Griffin, suddenly Lake Burley Griffin <laughs> started filling up with rubbish and algae and, uh, you know, people couldn't, you know, swim in it and sail on it and everything. And uh, they said, well, we need to stop all that getting in. So they built these things that were like an Olympic-sized swimming pool with huge trash racks across the back of it. Uh, a bit like a, a massive pool fence. Mm. And in high flows, the theory was the pollution, the, the, the heavier pollution would waterlog and settle in these big tanks mm. and the finer stuff would be filtered out or screened by the big rack or, or fence mm. at the back. What we now know is those fences are, are too small, they're online, mm. they're nowhere near enough capacity, they block and bypass, the things get resuspended. There was really no focus on how to maintain these structures. But that was where it started back yeah, in the 70s. Wow, I didn't know that. And then in the 80s, 
Sydney, I was born Sydney. in 1981, by the way. Just, <laughs> just so we all know. <laughs> well, I was born in the 60s, mate. <laughs> <laughs> I can tell by your <laughs> shirt. Tell by my shirt. <laughs> <laughs> you young whippersnappers, you. <laughs> anyway, back in the um, in the 80s, uh, Melbourne Water, uh, down in Victoria and certainly Sydney Water up here in Sydney, had a bit of a focus on uh, putting in some very large gross pollution traps, you know, treating catchments of 500 hectares and 1,000 hectares on these huge big arterial channels. And they did a good job at trapping park benches and, and car engines and, you know, stop signs and things. But, you know, your cigarette butts and your Coke cans and that sort of stuff largely went through. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. Wow. And over time, it's sort of – there were some improvements but not a lot and it was only in the early 90s that um, it really started to kick off a bit over in the US with a company called Vortechnix. They were looking at uh, swirl concentrators and baffles and things. There were oil and grit separators starting to be required. The EPA was looking at the legislation sort of going, well, how do we get better outcomes? Do we force industry to do things or not or what? And – they started producing stormwater guidance manuals to educate councils as to how to actually get developers to do the right thing. And then they started kicking in grant funding and saying, well, we're going to help you to implement these devices. And they were pretty basic devices back in those days. CDS was actually the first proprietary GPT um, here in Australia. And it took off and suddenly a number of uh, larger concrete companies that were selling the pits and the pipes and things sort of went, well, hang on a sec, councils are now suggesting they might like a, a gross pollutant trap to go on that pipe to help protect the environment. So as a result, a couple of other gross pollutant traps were, were conceived and, you know, early days, most of them all had problems. Some of those have been ironed out and some not so much. But, um, <laughs> you know, there's, there are better traps than others. And uh, the, the whole industry has evolved and people are now looking at, you know, gross pollutants were the start, but obviously mm. there's there's a whole lot more pollutants down the track. Um, mm. Obviously, uh, pesticides are, are very hard to trap, etc. Heavy metals getting into the food chain is an issue. Mm. Hydrocarbons, uh, well, just, 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 on, and things. just on that, we, yeah. um, Katie, Doctor Katie Deform, Doctor Katie Deform, uh, the biggest thing that she sees in Sydney Harbour is gross pollutants and heavy metals. Why the hell are we not? Uh, and I know you and I have personally discussed this before. Mm. Why are we not looking at heavy metal removal here in, in, in this beautiful state of New South Wales? Well, we definitely should be, especially where you're discharging into a waterway. I mean, as maybe I'm biased, but as beautiful as Sydney Harbour is, you know, Port Phillip Bay doesn't compare, and neither does the you know, Brisbane River. 
Yeah, we got a fantastic asset at our doorstep. It's the most iconic they, waterway in the world, man. That's right. Yeah. And yeah, you know, we've reached a point where you know the EPA's advice is don't eat the fish on the western side of a harbour bridge. Mm. That makes sense. Exactly what Katie said. She goes the western mm. side of the harbour. There's dead zones. Like literally, they they, they do sediment claw testing, and there's mm. just nothing living in parts of the Parramatta River. I mean, it's it's just distressing. You know, yeah. like dead zones. It'll never come back because of. Um, in one of the world's um, most iconic waterways, yeah, and which which, yeah. which and brings, celebrated and which brings billions of dollars of yeah. of tourism and people all around the world. So yeah, heavy metals. Just going back to it, our standards here, and in, in, uh, we don't have state legislation. But don't get me on that. I'll or Murray and I'll we'll deal with that another stage. But individual councils sent their set their own regulations. So if you're city of Sydney, you've got your own regulations. But typically, it's around a reduction in sediments. Uh, and nitrogen and phosphorus. Now, nitrogen uh, and going into Sydney Harbour, it's who cares? Who cares? Because it's going to get twice well, a day. Well, it gets flushed out and well, taken away. If, if, if the only thing that that Katie said was, if you get an excess of nutrients at the same mm-hmm. time you're getting um, warm sea temperatures, then that is going to be a problem. Mm-hmm. So that was her only concern, is in, and then we get algae blooms. But because it's getting washed in twice a day, then it gets diluted and goes out to sea, which is a natural thing. So mm-hmm. in your opinion, Murray, should we be looking f- at heavy metals here and, well, anywhere in Australia that discharges to a, um, a water body? Definitely. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I mean, it's it's important to start at the beginning. You've got to walk before you can crawl, and then you – no, you don't. You've got to crawl before you can walk. <laughs> I was going to go with that one. <laughs> but look, you need to have policies and things in place to make it all happen. Uh, you need commitment of your your politicians and your councils and things who own this infrastructure to actually put in devices to clean up the environment and then maintain them. Mm. Um, then it's a matter of, well, gross pollutants, if you like, are the easy target. Yeah. The As soon as you start getting down to particulates that are less than a millimetre in size, you know, match head size and smaller, you require larger devices and more complex uh, systems to remove them. And then when you start talking about heavy metals, they adhere to your fine silts that are like, you know, 50 micron or, or whatever, like the, the size of a, a hair, you know, growing off your head, not the type that bounds around in a field mm. like a rabbit. But the fact is the smaller the particulates, the more they stay in suspension, the harder they are to capture and treat. But the heavy metals and the pesticides and that sort of stuff adhere to the finer particulates and they get into the harbour. Now, when they do get into the harbour, the harbour is made of salt water. Now, salt is sodium chloride. It's not in there as a white powder. It's in there as insoluble form. So you have sodium ions and chlorine ions. Sodium is a natural flocculant. It's got a very positive charge. And all the little negative clay charges, so you might have one atom of uh, sodium in there and it attracts 500 atoms of clay basically to it because they've got a, a slight negative charge. And now the thing, instead of weighing you know, two microns, weighs 500 microns and now it will settle out. So the salt water acts as a natural flocculent, which is why the harbour is clear after, you know, it takes a couple of days to clear after rain, whereas your muddy rivers that don't have any salt in them tend to stay, mm. you know, brown. Mm. The chlorine that's in there um, acts as a disinfectant. Mm. So, you know, use chlorine to clean up mm. your pool and, mm. you know, keep it, you know, bacteria levels down and everything. So when the water goes in, you've got a natural system in a saltwater environment that flocculates it and disinfects it. But obviously it 
can't handle the loads. But what's happening is when it flocculates the the TSS and the and the heavy TSS metals, total suspended, total solids. suspended solids, yeah, like the very that. very fine yeah. silts and clays and stuff mm. that wash in with uh, every time it rains, they go into the harbour and the flocculation effect happens and they drop out straight after the mm. outlet of the pipes. Mm. So it's not like they all get flushed out to sea and they don't build up in the harbour. They are building up in the harbour. It's just a matter of at what rate are they building up. And how fast are they getting into the food chain? Mm. So little worms and crabs and other stuff will eat bits and pieces that uh, you know have heavy metal contamination, and uh, you know the smaller fish get eaten by the bigger fish, and eventually we eat the bigger fish. Mm. So just going back to the EPA, mm. their suggestion is we don't eat seafood out of Sydney Harbour. What, what, so just going back to that fact from west of the harbour, from and west- especially things like flathead and flounder and stuff that like to sit in the yeah. mud on the bottom of the ocean. Yeah. Gee, guys, for our listeners, so that is the Environmental Protection Agency recommending that west of the Sydney Harbour... Sydney Harbour um, Bridge. Sydney Harbour Bridge. You've got to Google this if you want to see how big this water body is. They are saying they recommend do not eat the fish. And, and it's not a public health issue. I call bullshit. Yeah, so that's a question, I guess. So New South Wales EPA advising people not to eat fish west of the Sydney Harbour Bridge because of... Contamination. So there's various contaminants like heavy metals you mentioned, but there's dioxins and other things that basically Correct, yeah. pose a risk to public health. And those those risks are increased by incoming stormwater pollutant loads mm. entering the harbour. And I guess this is a question for you, Murray. So is our current status of stormwater management, particularly in relation to, say, Sydney Harbour, but I guess more widely, is our current status of stormwater management in this country a public health issue? Oh, wow. Where do I go with that one? Of On, course it is, yeah. but... People are too afraid to come out and say it. I'm not saying you are, but yeah. we asked Katie and she was like, just mute. I mean, in my opinion, if we're eating fish that are contaminated, well, that's a public health issue. And, mm. I, I, you know, I, I think it's, it's pe- not politicians hard, yeah. are scared to hear that. Oh, look, I've been out fishing near Sydney Heads and, and caught some kingfish and things. And, uh, you know, who's to know what they were eating? Yeah. They, maybe they were eating white bait that was over in New Zealand or maybe they were swimming up the, on the Don't other side of the Harbour bait, Bridge. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and, uh, you know, eating the local mullet that live there permanently and, you know, they snuffle around and they eat algae and, and other things and, you know, they're probably not particularly good for you. I think the, the recommendation is actually to do with you shouldn't eat more than one prawn. Yes, one yeah, prawn or one Basically one prawn. Yeah. yeah. So we're, we're bloody Aussie. Well, I think, it, I think one it, tiny it, portion of fish per month yeah, if it well, comes I, from the western side of the bridge. Yeah, exactly. I think if it's more than one brim per month or one shrimp per month yeah. west of the bridge, you, you if you that's considered safe. But if you eat a little bit more than that, it's you exceed your recommended intakes of dioxins, which is a, a, a carcinogen. Sydney's had a legacy, uh, everything east of the Harbour Bridge, so to speak, has been very popular, well built out. It's, yeah. it's mainly homes and, and, you know, wealthier people that like to live near the beaches and mm-hmm. things. Uh, and obviously the further west you go, that's where industry was. Yeah, certainly, back, back in the day, yeah, that's oh, where the, all the industry The Homebush uh, Olympic site was a was fully know, contaminated toxic oil. dump, yeah. basically, before, you know, they moved in and cleaned it up for the Olympics. They were looking at uh, cleaning up the the harbour locally around there and they did some uh, analysis of what was on the bottom of the harbour and they said, Jesus, we can't pull this out. We'll kill the entire harbour if we try and suck it out and remove it. Mm. Um, we're better to try and just cap it and hopefully, you know, it decays over the next millennia. 
Yeah, so Katie DeFawn was talking about actually it's too getting, hard to do yeah, anything about it. She was actually looking at um, using, um, I guess, burrowing sort of uh, organisms like crabs and and worms, etc., to oxygenate, to oxygenate it. it, and sort of, yeah. I guess, have some sort of bioremediation sort of of the contaminated sediment within Sydney Harbour. Early days at the moment, but they're optimistic that it might be but, of use. But, but it's you, you yeah. see, this is what is it, annoying to me. So we've got you know people like Katie, and that, that sims uh, set up out there. It's mm. You know, millions of dollars of investment on an annual basis. It's a pretty big setup. They've got three boats. They've got laboratories. They're, you know, there's huge money in there. They know this problem. We know we're talking about it. Mm-hmm. And we know where the majority of it's coming from, and yet we're letting ourselves down. Local government, state government are really letting ourselves down. Like, it's it's not climate change, guys. It's not up for discussion. This is fact-based evidence mm-hmm. that everyone knows and no one seems to be doing enough about it. I mean, what are the EPA doing about it? Not much, in my opinion. Not much at all. No. Well, the EPA, are, are, let's call them the environmental police. They're the regulators. They don't actually do anything. They can assist by funding things, but they don't have a, a large funding source. So they're basically there to regulate and, and provide guidance. And, you know, if there's pollution incidents or spills or illegal dumping or that sort of thing, that's where they come involved. The management of normal urban stormwater here in, in certainly Sydney is massively dominated by the councils. They own 97% of all the stormwater that drains into our, our harbours and creeks and things. Sydney Water owns the other mm, 3%. 3%. And, you know, even Sydney Water's uh, lifted their standards and they're putting more money into it and, you know, they're uh, doing more than they were before. Are they doing enough? Probably not. There's lots of ways they can lift their game. But likewise with all the councils. And it, it always comes back to political pressure and where are we going to find the funds? Yeah. But not just the funds to build new infrastructure, the funds to maintain mm. that infrastructure that you put in. So um, so, so let's just give, do an assessment yeah. of the current status. of just Let's just look at Sydney Harbour, the Sydney Harbour catchment. So it's a very, very large catchment, all drains to yeah, Sydney how, Harbour. How big is it? Do you know? Sydney Harbour catchment? You, 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 you did oh, some I did some stats, so I haven't got them top oh, of my head. <laughs> what are you doing, man? But it's a very – take my word for it. It's a very, very large catchment that drains mm. to Sydney Harbour. And obviously we talked about stormwater pollution pressures on the harbour. Have you got a feel for actually what proportion roughly of that Sydney Harbour catchment might actually have any form of stormwater treatment at all? So if if, if, if the typical street – We've asked you this Rain before. falls on the ground, mm. flows into the waterway. Have you got a feel for how much – of that catchment is actually treated at all. Look, in the older areas and the areas that are closer to the coast, the the wealthier suburbs, if you like, the the Mossmans and Bondi's and Sutherlands and and whatever, where there's been a a closer association with the water, um, people are using it, they're boating, they're surfing, there's a lot more interaction with the water. There has been a lot more desire to put in devices and, and clean up and protect the waterways. The further you get away from the beaches, the less people, you know, instead of going surfing on the weekend, you know, they hot up their car and they take it around Eastern Creek. Um, they don't have. <laughs> what are you the implying, same- mate? <laughs> <laughs> I'm just saying, it's people's affinity and and connectivity to the water that will drive some of their actions. Mm, yeah. So, you know, someone dropping a can. Uh, by the side of the road while looking down over Bondi mm. is a lot less likely to happen than dropping a can after they've you know well, done yeah, a couple of hot laps. That's interesting you say that, but we were at Bondi Beach Car Park a, a couple of weeks ago and mm. there was rubbish everywhere. So mm. if ever you're going to see a greater connection to to the waterway, uh, the car park. The car park 
it literally 20 metres from Bondi mm. Beach. You reckon that'd be pretty high. But I can tell you for a fact there was cigarette butts everywhere. There was bottles, glass, glass, bottles, plastic, so, wrappers, I, pens, And I'll tell everything. you exactly why that's the case. That? If you go to a couple of other Bondi beaches. Hipsters. Bondi hipsters. That's it. <laughs> they're, they're bringing down the world. <laughs> no. What is happening, it's, uh, it's certainly one of Australia's most iconic beaches. Mm. It's really well known. It's accessible to all the tourists and backpackers that come into the city. Hey, I want to see Bondi Beach. You know, I, I want to go to Manly. I want to see the Opera House. You know? um, Bondi is typically on the list and you get a lot of tourists down there. And tourists, you know, come from all over the world, very multicultural, lots of different um, cultures and expectations and standards when it comes to littering. And... You know, here in Australia, I think about 30% of people smoke, but a lot of places overseas, it's way in excess mm, of that. Mm. And the standard may be, you know, you finish your smoke, you drop it on the mm, ground and you mm, stomp it out. Mm. And that's how they've always done it. And uh, it's not their home. They don't care and they just drop stuff on the ground mm. and move on. So where you do get um, elevated pollution loads, tourism is a, is a big thing. So that's why Bondi is getting hit. It's not the locals, it's the tourists. But can I tell you, equally, I can walk down mm. any street and sort of say Mate, go, Sydney, go, go, go walk down um, oh, yeah, Alexandra, yeah. Huntley Street right here. Yeah, It is filthy. Crap yep. everywhere. Single-use plastics everywhere, cigarette butts, wrappers, uh, you name it, it's in the street. And every time it rains, it'll wash straight into our creeks and rivers. There won't be any treatment. Yep. It'll go straight into the creek and ultimately into the harbour. Cool. So, guys, what uh, what we're going to do now, um, this is really interesting. We're really Actually, let me just answer the well, question we that we didn't get to before, <laughs> which is I reckon there's probably about 25% of the catchment has some form of treatment. Okay. Some Probably only 15 or 10% has quality treatment. And of that, probably half of it is not being correctly maintained to achieve the outcomes that we're expecting. Great. Thanks for answering that. We're going to take a short break and come back for episode two. Thanks for listening to the Ocean Protect podcast. Episodes are released weekly and the next episode will feature part two of this chat. If you'd like to find out more about us and what we do, check us out at oceanprotect.com.au.